Good morning. It is really good to see all of you today. Thank you so much for being here. Happy 2015. How about that? I'm, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to be doing something a little bit different. Not for us as a church. We've, we've done this before, but we've, uh, we're going to spin off of First Peter. And we're going to do a series. Um, I've done this before, and it's always been well-received, so I hope it is to, to, this, uh, to us now. It's going to be on the family, and, and I'll share with you why I'm doing this. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter, because we have left off there. Before we begin, um, I want to make two, two just announcements, just brief. Number one, for the men of the church, if you can come tomorrow night, we meet once a month in the cafe... And we have a great time. And uh, there's a lot of us old heads that show up. And, and we'd like for you younger guys to come too and, and, and be a part. We're, we're, we're kind of studying about what it means to be a leader within the framework of the church and, and how that encompasses all of us. And so I'd really appreciate if you could come. Man, it's uh, tomorrow night. We meet month, one, the first Monday of every month. And we meet in the cafe. And we meet, meet at 7 o'clock. And we're through... We kind of have some fellowship, and we're through abruptly after about an hour. Um, so please come. Please feel welcome. Even if you've not been a part of the study up to this point, you're more than, more than welcome. After we're through, we're going to have prayer. After we're through with this message, uh, we, we will, as, a, as traditionally done here, we will meet here up front. And for those of you that have any prayer needs whatsoever, please come and, 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 and pray with the folks and ask them to pray for you. The reason I'm saying that now is because sometimes I forget at the end. I get so fired up on the message that I, uh, I forget to make that announcement. Okay, let's talk about where we're at. Peter has now set the stage for, for us as people that, that there is going to be suffering. The reason he wrote First Peter was to allow the Jews who were in Rome and were, who were kind of just um, persecuted and sent out all sorts of different directions because they were being killed in Rome. And so in the midst of their persecution, he says, you are aliens. This is not your home. This earth is not your place. And so he's trying to comfort those who are going through difficulties and trials, knowing that we all go through trials to one degree or another. And so if you recall, last week it said that we have had a purpose in our lives. Remember? It's in the second chapter, the 21st verse. Peter writes, You and I, we have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And so there is a, there is a call upon our lives, a purpose that we should go through difficulties, but go through it as using Christ as our example. That's fine, and that's dandy. But Peter begins the next chapter by telling all wives that you are to... Well, let me allow Peter to step in it on his own. I want you to read with me verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, in the same way... Now he's talking about suffering. You wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that... Even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. 
Ladies, tell the truth. Be submissive to your own husband. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? Now, now, don't try to fool me on this because I know it does because I've studied and I know why it does. And I'm going to try to explain in the weeks to come as we study the whole framework of marriage. You see, what Peter has done here is all of a sudden he has taken this turn speaking to husbands and wives. Here's what he says to husbands. Look at verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3. You husbands likewise, in other words, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. That term, understanding way, is a farming term. It means as if someone would live, some great farmer would live with his crop that he would understand and know exactly how to make that what he is trying to grow flourish. So Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Wait, wait, I'll tell you what that means in a moment. That's not, a, that's not what, it, what you might think. It's not weaker because a, a, a woman is weaker than a man in, in any capabilities. It means she's weaker because if she does what God asks her to do, and that is to submit to her husband, she therefore has been placed in a weaker position But she's not weaker because if the man is living with her in an understanding way, he will help her to flourish. I was going to say this later, but I'm going to say it right now. First, I should pray. This is way too too dangerous. Let me me pray with you first. I, I promise you, you're going to enjoy this series. Father, would you please help us to do just that? But enjoy it in such a way, Father, that we understand what you've called us to be as husbands and wives and how you've asked us to to act and react with one another so that what the world is trying to do by destroying marriage, by by destroying families and, and all of that, Father, we can systematically put things back together where they ought to be. And so, Father, I, I, I would honestly pray so much, Father, that you would open up our eyes so that we would behold wonderful things that come from your law, and that you would move me aside so that I don't get in the way of what you want to say to all of us, whether we're married or not in this case. And so, Father, please bless us. As only you can, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to say this later. I want to say it right now. <clears throat> Living with your wife in an understanding way. Now, this is we're going to get into this more, but let me just briefly brush over this because I understand the tension that happens in a woman's heart when you tell her you are to be submissive to your own husband. I want you to note, ladies and men, that he talks about your own husband, not all men. No, no. The Bible doesn't teach that a woman is to be subservient to all men. It tells tells you that for order within the family, there needs to be a, a submissiveness to your own husbands. But on the other hand, husbands, you are to live with your wives in an understanding way as a farmer would his crop, his land. In other words, if, if this here I bought, I'm a farmer and I want to grow this. I want to grow this because I absolutely love it. I love the fragrance of it a lot. I love the way it looks and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me money. That's, that was a stupid statement. It's, it's, good to, it's important for me to, to, to plant this. And, and where I want to plant it is right here because this is where I am. And I want to see it, smell it, and look at it all day. But my father, who is a master farmer, says, Son, if you plant that by you, it's going to die. It will not flourish. 
the only place this will flourish really properly is for you to plant it down there in the valley. And I say, but Dad, it's so far away. I can't see it. He says, well, you can plant it by you and it'll die. Or you can plant it there and it'll flourish. Well, if I'm a farmer and I live with my, what I'm growing in an understanding way, I will not plant it here and allow it to die. It's too important. I'll plant it there. And if I want to smell it, I'll go visit it, you know, or whatever. That was supposed to be a joke, but it didn't turn out to be. So when a man lives with a wife in an understanding way, he starts to understand what it takes. And and in my life as as a husband, the only example I ever saw of of a man and a woman living together was my mom and dad. My mom was from the old country. My father was from the old country. My dad took care of all the money in the house. He, mom never had any money unless she had to go to get groceries. And then dad would get in the pocket, give her money, and she would go. And I thought, that's good. I'll do that. <laughs> that's, that's a way to, that's, that seems perfect to me. The only problem was is I couldn't handle money well. I was terrible with it. And after about a year, a year and a half in our marriage, I, I looked at Kay once and I said, this is an honest, true story. I said, Kay, I said, we're not doing well financially. Do you think you should handle the money? She said, I couldn't wait for you to ask. Of course. Of course. She says, you're terrible with it. And I then, being a husband and living with my wife in an understanding way, I gave her all authority over money. Today, I don't carry money. She gives me money when I need it. And it's working out perfectly. And so when the Bible says these things, it's not so that you as a man could think, ah, now I have her right where I want her, under my thumb. That's not what the Bible is asking. And women, it's not asking you to be subservient in such a way that you are a a doormat. It is talking about something that is much deeper than that. And listen, if you want to see how important this is, men, if you read the last part of verse 7, you'll see that Peter tells us how to live with our wives so that our prayers will not be hindered. I know of no person on the face of this earth weaker than a Christian who realizes that their prayers are being hindered. And so, gentlemen, husbands, if you want your prayer life to flourish, then live with your wife in an understanding way. Now, how do you do that? Well, we're going to learn in time. But the only, the best way, best way, only, it was a bad word. Only, it is not right. Best way is to ask. Communicate. Ask her, what would make you flourish as a wife? I was shocked when I first asked Kay that. I, I mean, it was like she had a list. <laughs> and I, I was smart enough at least to and willing enough to allow it to take place. You see, in my marriage at least, I don't know about others, but I've married a very strong-willed person, which I find very attractive. I love a strong-willed woman, and my wife is. And so with that, it's, 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 I'm, I'm in for a bumpy ride sometimes because she's opinionated, and I ask her for it, and I, I get it. And, and so that's wonderful if you can handle that. So here's what the Bible is saying so far. Wives, you be submissive to your own husband, not to all men. And husbands, 
You live with your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, if that stings a little bit, ladies, I'm going to tell you exactly why it does. I know why. I studied the Bible, and I know why. And so it's normal. It's normal that you might feel a little twerk in your heart or insides, think, I I don't know if I should be submissive to him. Look at what God says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse um, 7. Sarah obeyed Abraham. Well, Abraham was a jerk. She called him Lord. You have become her children if you do what is right. No, without being frightened by any fear. In other words, God will take control. If both of you and your husband do things the way it's supposed to be, you can do it without being frightened or with any fear. God will take control. Enough of that. We will study that in time. So in the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at the framework of marriage. But you might say, I'm not, I'm not married. Or you might say, we have a very good marriage, John. We don't need this. Uh, let us know when you're through and we'll come back. No, please don't do that. I plead with you. Listen. Because this can become, in my opinion, one of the most important series of messages that you'll ever receive, whether you be married or not. In fact, I would, I would venture this to say that if you are not married, men or women, this would be of great importance to hear this before you marry. And if, by the grace of God, you have a, a good to a great marriage, I say to you that nothing can be better than to make what is good or even great even better. And I believe the Lord wants to do that in our lives as husbands and wives. And since Peter has opened the door of marriage by speaking to the husbands and wives in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, let's take a look how God intended our marriages to be. I want you to, to turn with me, uh, well, in a moment, to Ephesians chapter 5. So you can kind of hold your place between 1 Peter and Ephesians chapter 5. But I, I, I'm, I'm wrestling at where do we begin this venture. Let me just say this. Across the country in which we live today, this, this land of ours, you might know this. Within the framework of churches and throughout Christianity as a whole, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church and I'm talking about Christians. There has been in the last years a drastic, even alarming number of divorces and family breakdowns. And over the years, this number is growing at an alarming rate. The percentage has busted through for the Christians and the church, busted through the 50 percentile grouping. And that must bring a tear to heaven. And the reason I say that is because what God says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16 You might look at it later. He says this, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Clear enough? I hate divorce, he says. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God is talking about marriage, and he's talking specifically about divorce, When he says, I hate it, 
it is wrong. Take heed. Don't deal treacherously with your marriages. And so, I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to read a, a comparison of, of what was said in 1 Peter. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is speaking to husbands and wives as well. Look what he says in verse 22. Wives, he agrees with Peter. Be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wife ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, on the other hand, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot nor wrinkle, nor any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Verse 28, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, For this cause, this cause means he's talking about marriage. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh. Paul writes this, verse 32, This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. You realize, don't you, that when when Paul writes, this mystery is great, talking about reference to Christ in the church, he is talking and, ref- and referring or comparing to the church and Christianity to marriages. And ultimately, he is telling us how we are to treat one another within the framework of a marriage. In a nutshell, the how is described in Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 33, we read it, you might have just read over it. Nevertheless, look at verse 33. Let each individual among you, husbands, love your own wife as you do yourself. And the wife, see to it that she respect her husband. There it is, in a nutshell. Love and respect. But, as we're going to learn in the weeks to come, there's so much more than just that. For instance, Why? Why is the husband to love and the wife to respect? Why is it not the other way around? Why we, as husbands, love? Why do you, as women, respect? I'm going to show you. And I think it's someplace that, unless you went through this study with us before, you have never seen before. You see, the essence of godly order within a marriage is found within the principle of love, submission, and respect. Without submission, love, respect, and, I might add, godly authority, there's going to be chaos. Whether it be in a marriage or or in anything that we do. Without submission, 
without love, without respect and godly authority, there is chaos. And we can see it in every aspect of our lives. It's in the streets. You can see it. It's, it's in our schools. You, you, I hear of it. Submission begins when we are filled with the Spirit of God. Otherwise, there will be chaos. And we're seeing it. But, but I'm not going to talk about what's happening out in the streets or in, 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 in schools and places like that. I want to talk about marriage. And, and being filled with the Spirit moves out from, from our relationship with each other into the world in which we live. Look, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 tells us, don't be drunk with wine. That's dissipation. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That is such an important verse. You see, both husband and wife are to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so we learn that submission is a two-way street within the marriage. So what happened to marriages? Why is it that they're falling apart at an alarming rate? Now I'm going to say things that, that might could get me in trouble, but it needs to be said. It needs to be said. One of the greatest tragedies within our lifetime as human beings, I don't, you, you, some of you are not old, but, but, but I can remember. I can remember just, for instance, I remember vividly the first time I was, I think I was watching the Johnny Carson show. It was quite a while ago. And I was watching it because I love watching any kind of uh, interplay between people. I like to hear what people think out there. And, and there was a, a movie star that I honestly don't remember who she was. But Johnny Carston asked her, I hear that you're pregnant. And she said, yeah. He said, when did you get married? She said, oh, I'm not getting married. I'm going to have a child. And I went, whoa, that was a major statement. She was proud of the fact that she was pregnant without being married. And she was going to have a child. That was, at that time, that was a, that was a major thing to hear. Uh, uh, that just wasn't mentioned in our society much. But how about today? It's, it's given. It's given. It, people are getting and having children without getting married left and right. It's, it's, the, it's the breakdown of the family. It's the breakdown of marriages. And Satan is behind it. I know people wouldn't think that, but he is behind it. And we're going to teach you why he is. So both the husband and wife are to be subject to one another. But the but the greatest tragedy that we have is in our lifetime has been the progressive death of marriages. And with it is the, the death and the structure of family order that has been ordained by God. It begins with a blatant disrespect towards authority, submission, and the Word of God. If you think that's not true, then just ask any police officer, ask any pastor, ask any teacher, and they'll tell you. There's a breakdown in our society. You want to start a heated debate? 
mention to someone how authority and submission and its demise began. It began with the demanding of equal rights in, in no particular order. There's the homosexual rights. There's the abortion right group. There's the women's liberation group. There's a, a blatant growth of youth gangs holding people in the neighborhoods captive, afraid to go out at nighttime. Oh, the worst to me is politicians who have absolutely no regard for our country anymore, but rather they, they, they run for their office so that they can have financial security and be able to retire on our backs. Our tax pays them their retirement. If I was in charge, the first thing I would do in a, in a, in a, with politicians is I would want statesmen. I would want really statesmen to run. And when you run, there's a term limit. And after the term limit, you get nothing. You just go back to work. But help our, help our country grow. Help our country to be better. Not because you want a, a, a livelihood out of it, but because you are a statesperson that wants to see our country be better. We've lost that. It's, there's, there's absolutely nothing about that anymore. And on and on and on it goes from one group to another. It's just the tip of the iceberg of some of the things that I've mentioned. And each of these so-called equal right groups and, and so many more have given rise to the destruction of our country, the family, marriages, each becoming another straw upon a camel's back that chips away at the very foundation of submission, respect, love, and godly authority. Each group demands their own rights and, and, and will not fall or will not submit to anyone's authority but their own. Especially they will not fall under the authority of the Word of God. And the victim, the victim in all of this is our country. The victim in all of this is our families. The victim of all of this is our children and marriages. Let me tell you something. The church today is not suffering because of the sin in the world. I don't believe that without, at all. I believe the world is suffering because of the sin in the church. And you know, I'm getting to be old. Now I'm almost 77. I'm going to be 77 this year. Goodness gracious. I used to think that a person should curl up and die at that age. <laughs> I might. But I mean, that's what I thought. But I'm at a place where I say enough is enough. It's time for we, the church, to declare war against the world and its ways. I think it's about... Oh, thanks. Praise the Lord. I think it's about time that we live out what the Bible teaches in our churches, in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our marriages. And so, since Peter brought up the subject of husbands and wives within the marriage, that's what we're going to study. We're going to take a look at what it means to really have the purpose of a marriage of love, submission, authority, respect, in its proper order. I, and I also believe this. Look, I know it's going to be about marriages, but if we truly get what God is trying to teach us, it will ultimately affect our families, our children, our country, and our workplaces. You see, doing war against Satan always begins by being obedient to the Word of God. So let's, let's look again in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's see, how did this all begin? Where did it start to fall apart on us? In verse 33 of Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Each husband among you love his own wife even as himself, and 
The wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Love and respect. Love and respect. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, gives us a huge clue as to where and how this all began. Take a look at verse 31. For this reason, now, Paul, here in Ephesians chapter 5, is quoting out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. We're going to turn there in a moment. He says, for this reason, talking about marriage, a man will leave his mother and his father, will cleave to his wife, see, it's talking about the wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh. So, to see how this all began, would you please, you can leave your place here in Ephesians and Peter and turn back to the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start right from the beginning. How did this all begin? Let's take a look. I want to start with Genesis 2, but let me take a look at Genesis chapter 1 first. Let's just take a look at this. I want you to see something, what God has done. God begins by saying in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God. In other words, watch, he doesn't introduce himself. I mean, this is it. That's his introduction. He doesn't explain where he came from, how he is, all this other stuff that people want to know. Just in the beginning God. So he created the heavens and the earth. That's verse 1. The earth was formless, verse 2, and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw, verse 4, God saw that it was what? What does it say in your Bible? What? Good. I want you to remember that. He did a pretty good job. First day, he did good. Let's take a look at, um, let's take a look at verse 9. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear. And God called the dry land earth and gathered the waters. He called them sea. And then God saw that it was what? Good. He's doing good. He's two for two. Both are good so far. Let's turn, turn over to the next on my Bible, the next page. Let's take a look at verse 12. He said, He developed the earth. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds after their kind, trees bearing fruit and seeds in them after their kind. And God saw that it was third day what? Good. He's doing a good job. So far, God's doing a pretty doggone good job. All right, let's take a look at verse 18. God, verse 7 says, He placed in the expense the heavens and gave light to the earth. And verse 18, And He governed the, the, the day and the night, and He separated the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. Nice job. Verse 21, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves within the waters, swarming after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw five. What? It's good. It's very good. He's, no, it's good so far just misspoke. Verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was six for six. And we take a look at verse 31. God saw that all that he had made, and behold, it was not good. It was what? It was very good. He did a great job. He, he did a marvelous job with this earth. He made it so just as he wished. Now, chapter 1 of Genesis is basically a, an understanding of how God formed this place in which we live and the skies in which we see and everything below. And we understand the very expanse of what God did. 
Chapter 2 of Genesis is pretty much the same thing, except it's a little bit different. Chapter 2 is like, well, let's say chapter 1 is like we're on the Empire State Building and we're looking down on the city streets of New York with our naked eyes. And we're just seeing the expanse of New York. It's just huge and it's just amazing. But in, in chapter 2, we, we put a, well, I'll tell you how old I am, a quarter. Put a quarter into the telescope, right? And you look and, and you zero in on two people just walking the streets of New York. That's what chapter 2 is basically. It zeroes in on how God made men and women. And so it says in verse 7, chapter 2, Genesis, the Lord God formed man. Great. You've got to know that word. Formed is very important. It's in the Hebrew, it is a, a very simple word. It's like, like somebody would make a snowball. Just put it together and there it is, man. He formed man, it says, from the dust of the ground, back in verse 7, and he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So now man is on this earth. He has now formed a man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed life into the man. And so he tells the man in the next few verses to go and to cultivate, take care of the garden. I've made you a garden. I want you to care for it. In fact, look. Uh, yeah, let's look at verse 16. No, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And verse 16 says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree in the garden you may freely eat, but the, fr the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it you shall what? You're going to surely die. That means that, that we learn later from that. They don't die physically. They died spiritually. And then verse 18 comes along. And in verse 18 you're going to see the first negative word that, that comes out of the mouth of God. He talks with the man. He is walking with the man. It is God and man. And he is with the man. And the Lord God said, verse 18, it is not good for you to be alone. I will make you a helper suitable for you. The word suitable for you means someone who will complete you as a being. So, we are told in verse 21, we'll take a look at this in more depth in the weeks to come, but look at verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And the man slept. And then the, the Lord God took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh of that place, and then the Lord God did not form a woman. He fashioned a woman. That's a totally different word, folks. Formed in the Hebrew is just like making a snowball. Fashioned in Hebrew is like an, it's an architectural term. It's like God with great care built a woman. He cared for every nook and cranny, I guess you'd say, of, of this being that he is making to help complete the man. Number one, what we learn here is men and women are not alike and we're never made to be alike. I know the world is trying to force us into being just like one another. And it's, it's been tough on us, man. But we're not alike. We've been formed. Ladies, you've been fashioned. And you'll never be formed. And don't try to be. It's not fun. And we'll never be fashioned. And uh, men, don't try to be. It's not what we're supposed to be. You ever wonder why a woman seems to have an intuition about her? You ever wonder why, man, when your wife seems to know, innately knows things that you don't know? Well, maybe you don't live with a woman like that, but I do. And I've always, I've, I see firsthand how she's been fashioned and I've been formed. 
So, God brings them together. Look what it says. Verse 22. He fashioned the woman from a rib that he had took, taken out of Adam, the man, and he brought her to the man. You know why he brought her to the man? He's going to marry him. First marriage ceremony has taken place in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And the Lord God said, For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother, he shall cleave unto his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh. Both of them, it says in the next verse, were naked and not ashamed. Stop for a moment. When the Lord God said to Adam and Eve, I want you, Adam, to leave your mother and your father, what do you think Adam thought? Really, what did he think? He didn't have no mom and dad. He was the first guy on this earth. You know what God was doing? He was laying a precedent for every marriage that would go after this marriage. He was telling us, men, men, leave your mother and your father. Now, we know, we know from the commandments that we're not to disrespect our mothers and fathers. That's not what he's asking. We're going to explain what it means in the, in the weeks to come. I want you to leave your mother and your father. I want you to cleave to this your woman, your wife. You know what God says? She calls her, he calls her his wife. And the two of you shall become one flesh. Both of you were not naked and not ashamed. What in the world does that all mean? We're going to study next week what it means to leave, cleave, one flesh, and not naked and not ashamed. We're going to take a look at those words. Critical for you and me to understand them as a husband and a wife so we know that what God is asking of us is not... It's not irrational. It's very rational what he's asking us to do and how he's asking us to live. And so we see that God made everything good, everything good. In fact, he looked over everything he made. He said it wasn't good. It was very good. And then in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, he looked at man and he says, it's not good for you to be alone. Let me say something to those of you who are single. And you'll go through this series. There is, the New Testament teaches, there is a gift of being single. There is a gift of not getting married. And for those of you that have that gift, for goodness sakes, those of us who are married, stop trying to get your single friends to be married unless they ask you to help. And if they don't ask you to help, leave them alone. They're very happy the way they are. And they don't need us fixing them up with somebody to make them happier. They don't need that. They have, for the most part, the gift of singleness. And you'll know when you don't have that gift of singleness. My whole life, I knew I wanted to be single. And then I came to the Lord. And then I started to do what, by, what Paul said I would do. I started to burn with lust for Kay. And that was my indication that I wasn't a single dude. I wanted, well, you can only imagine what I wanted. And so I married her. And I got what I wanted. <laughs> it was awesome. Let me say to you that when God says it's not good for you to be alone, He is saying to you that I have somebody in mind for you that is going to complete you as a being. That's why for those of you who are single and looking to be married, you better know what God is asking and what he's, what he's hoping for you before you say I do to that lug that you shouldn't have said I do to. Know who you're marrying. Know 
what it is that you're doing with your life as a person that wants to get married. For those of us who are married, God is saying, now wait, there are some of you who have been divorced. And we just read a little while ago that God hates it. Look, we can't undo that egg. If that egg has been scrambled, you can't undo it. But what God is saying is you live the best you can with the person you're now with. Love them. Enjoy them. Divorce is not, is not the best issue. Of course, God says it's not. But he's also saying if you have been divorced and you are now remarried, then love and live with that person with all of your heart. I want to make sure you understand that. There's, our Lord is a gracious and kind and very forgiving and loving Lord. And so this series is going to, it's going to set us free. You're going to absolutely love this series. I promise you this. I know that I've said a lot of things that are to come. I, one of the things I tell anybody that asks me about preaching, I said, don't, don't, don't say that you have something else you want to teach next week. Teach what you're going to teach this week. Leave it at that and tell them next week what you're going to tell them. Well, I've, I've broken my, what, I, what I think is correct way of teaching. I've already now told you there's more to come and I've kind of left it out there, kind of empty. But, but maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I do know this, that there was a couple that came to our church last night. First time. A woman came up to me afterwards. And her husband. She said, I can't wait for next week. She said, this is the first week I've ever been in this church. She says, is it like this all the time? And I said, no, it's not like this all the time. <laughs> it's, it's not. But we try to make it exciting. We try to make it real. We try to make it something that, that is is it's good for us to understand what God is saying. But I, I recognize and realize this is like a cereal. You know, it's like, a, you know, none of you remember this, but when I was a kid, you know, like Tom Mix, it, uh, he'd, be, he'd go jump over the cliff. Oh, he's going to die. And then all of a sudden, no, somebody lassoed him or something. But he'd, they'd always get you to come back. They'd get you to come back. There's more. Well, this is something I want you to come back for. Not for me. But for marriages. For this country in which we live for your family, for our church, ultimately for you and your wife, your wife, you and your husband, so you really understand what it means to really love and respect one another. God has given you that wife and that husband to complete you as a being. Be careful how you treat her, gentlemen. Be careful how you treat him, ladies. I think you'll be excited about next week. We're going to have fun going through chapter 2 of Genesis. Father in heaven, for those that might need prayer, for whatever reason, not necessarily for marriage, but just prayer for a friend or a loved one, um, I pray that they'll come up front and there'll be people there waiting to pray with them. And, and Father, I pray for this week, that it'll be a very special week. In this year, this this year of 2015 will be something very special for each person here that they will um, enjoy understanding you and knowing you and loving you more with each passing day. And now, Father, will you bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before